Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Double and Radio Gamescast. It's episode number 45. We're making it quite far this year. Uh, somehow managed to not explode yet, so that's pretty impressive. As always, I'm your host, Ryan, and I'm joined by my lovely cohort of co-hosts, Alex. Hi. You, you know, I, every time you do the countdown for this episode, it keeps reminding me of iCarly. Yeah, that's the point. That's, uh, that's <laughs> the inspiration. Not really. <laughs> We got Brett. Hello. And we got Wyatt. Hi. That was unfortunate. <laughs> All right. I don't have the energy to do something wacky today. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's acceptable. <laughs> so this we got some big news uh, this past week. And by big news, I mean news that we all knew was going to happen. We've known for a long time that this is probably going to happen. That's Mass Effect remakes. And you know, on the tales of Mass Effect, logical conclusion about what Mass Effect is known for, side characters. So we're doing an episode on side characters. Doesn't that sound fun? Yeah! Yes, sir. Mr. Mr. Ryan. Yeah, yeah? Please let me go. Please let us out of the podcast dungeon now. 1-800, this is a bit. It's been 45 episodes. Oh, no. We were were so far down the rabbit hole at this point. (laughs) All right. So, we we do games on the show. And by games, we do, I mean, we do awards. We used to do games. We don't do games anymore because, you know, we talk about games. Why double up? Games are stupid. Yep. So... (laughs) I gotta put an award out this year in in light of GameSpot continually putting articles out, uh, remembering years. So twenty years ago it was two thousand one. So this award, I want no. you guys. I'm gonna give you a list of games from two thousand one, and I want you to tell me which one you could do without. Oh. All right, oh. but of course these are all very good games. Oh. So we're gonna start it out with Paper Mario. Came out in February fifth, two thousand one. All right. Everyone got that? I have, I have a question. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Are any of these games by Goo? Uh, <laughs> you know, I think Goo went defunct in 99, so I'm going to oh. have to say no. Shame. What a but shame. I am, yeah, I feel just as poorly. Uh, we have Silent Hill 2. Ooh. And we've got Grand Theft Auto 3. It was a big year in video games. And if I wanted to get really hard, I could say we had Metal Gear Solid 2, but I'm not going to put that at risk. So <laughs> Now, would, would doing without these games mean that the company had never made them and thus never made and their sequels? You know what? Because I, I like Chaos, I'm going to also add in Halo Combat Evolved. So <laughs> if we had to wipe one of these games from existence, the idea never entered anyone's heads. It was gone forever. Which game will we wipe? All right. Uh, because I'm an idiot, can you can you list the first one again? <laughs> we have Halo, thing. Grand Theft Auto Three, Silent Hill Two, and Paper Mario. Okay. I've never played the original Paper Mario, but I still feel I'm, like I'm going to be honest. Good. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, the way I'm judging these, I've only played one of these games so i'm only really like attached to one of these games which is combat evolved the other ones i just haven't played before so like uh i I think i'm kind of looking at it from like what do i think was more um 
what affected the industry the most. Yeah, that's like, that's partly yeah. the idea. Partly the idea, but again, it's it's hard to judge just because I haven't like <laughs> I haven't played okay. most of these, so it's kind of hard to. All right, so Wyatt, I'm gonna ask you. It's okay to go on not having played any of them. All right, that's fine. Yeah. I yeah. just need, I want to hear your answer. So what is it? What game are you um, most willing to forget? Probably uh, Paper Mario because I think that is probably the one game in the one series I I know the least about on that entire list. So I just don't care enough, I guess. <laughs> and it yeah. also seems like a game that didn't really like shake up the industry that much not that it's bad but like i don't really see it having too much of an impact overall compared to the other games so all right you know i gotta throw my ring in there i love paper mario but i have to agree with you because paper mario i think had one really really good sequel which was thousand years door the rest of them have been kind of iffy so Mm -hmm. of these franchises i think that's the one i'm most willing to lose all right brett what you got um, I'm gonna jump on the Paper Mario train because, uh, you know, I've I've played a couple, uh, like, because uh, Paper Mario is a, an RPG, right? Yeah, it's an RPG. Or is that just an yes. Okay, it's I've I've played a few that came out before, and I played a few that came out after, and there's like it, its blood isn't in any of them. It, like it literally just does not have any yeah. legacy outside of Paper Mario. And when you look at something like Silent Hill or GTA or Halo, like they're pretty, pretty heavy hitters for their genres. Um, so yeah, Paper Mario can uh, be obliterated. Wow! Just All, right. This once. All right, Alex, what what's your your vote here? Normally, I, I go along with Brett's solid reasoning there. Um, but this is, for me, entirely personal and not at all business. Uh, I'm axing John Halo. All right, all right. I understand. Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm sorry. He has done nothing but give me headaches. Yep, John Halo I, Alex. leading to Destiny. <laughs> and, and Halo that, Infinite. That, that, is that, not, that, was... that is not fair. All right, do we want... <laughs> You want to talk about bad game sequels for a minute here? How many bad Silent Hill games have we gotten? I don't know because nobody remembers any of them. That's How many exactly sequels are there? Hearing. They don't make any more though. They're yeah. still making bad. Yeah, halos. but I would argue there isn't there isn't a, a bad like at least from what I've seen there isn't a Halo game that is worse than a Silent Hill sequel. Like one of the how bad can Silent say, Hill sequels. Not, I mean, you can't not really how compare can you say them, that in an accusatory but... way? How can you say that because they're literally nothing alike? I'm just saying. There, there's no way you can compare those two. They're so far afield. But it's okay because we, just... have a, we have a winner. And by winner, I mean we have to forget this game permanently and never talk about it on the show again. And I'm that is Paper forget. Mario. I'm just going to forget everything it's that wiped Alex from the said timeline. Because, because I still like Alex, so I'm just going like, <laughs> to forget that he ever said that so we can keep being friends. I'm going to accept that what Alex was saying was born out of hatred <laughs> and intense I'm sorry, I abusive relationships. Abusive relationships with Bungie. <laughs> it's, Alex, Alex, that was going to be my second answer. It's okay. I kind of agree with you a little bit. All right. Oh. We can air our issues with, this, with Bundy at another time. This marks my last In fact, uh, we have... episode on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bring it in. Bring it in. <laughs> <laughs> we have a winner. We did it. We don't have to keep debating. All right. So we got some game announcements this week. Uh, before we get to the... Well, I say it's the big one, but we all knew it was coming. It's Mass Effect. 
Uh, we got some smaller ones, and that's Total War Warhammer 3. We got a Warhammer 3 announcement coming out this year. Uh, it's we, we knew this was happening. We knew it would likely be this year. But I think uh, people that like Total War, including myself, are very excited for it. Especially because they're showing some weird factions that don't exist in the tabletop games. Which is really exciting. We're getting a, a like Asian-inspired faction called the Cathay. It looks very interesting. So The Cathay? The Cathay, you know? Do it's they... like cat hay. <laughs> cat, uh, I was going to make like a cafe joke, but... I, I know you were. It was, was going to be bad. I so. was verging on something cappuccino related as well. Yeah. All right. I was All right. Espresso. Uh, I, I'm sorry. It's going to be <laughs> one of those wait. episodes. Can't wait to watch the, the Mandalore gaming video on that game and have that be the only interaction I ever have with it. Just like every other Warhammer game. Yeah, well, you're in for a two hour long video. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so, one. It's great. Um, yeah, I don't know. Total War Warhammer is a really, really good strategy game if you're into them, especially if you like real time strategy. So that's exciting. And they are also unique in that when you buy a Total War Warhammer game, you can continue to use the other game's content in the next game. Uh, so every Ooh. game they like add in all the factions from the old games after a little while and uh, bring them up to date with the new stuff. So, so it's actually like buying the tabletop game then. Yep. So basically what, what Warhammer 3 is going to shape up to be is essentially like you have the entire uh, roster of like Warhammer <laughs> fantasy. If you do. Yeah. At this point, they've, they've run out of Warhammer fantasy factions essentially and are having to add new ones like the cafe. Warhammer so, endgame. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's a very, very fun franchise. Um, okay, so Factorio is getting an expansion pack. We don't really have any other details about that, but it's getting an expansion pack. It's also sold over 2,500,000 copies, so it's a little indie game that could, especially for a game that has never gone on sale, and I think they've stated will never will. So, interesting business model. Yeah. It's working for them. Trying to be like Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. So, we got some interesting news. I don't know who here has played Goldeneye. The original? No. Yep. Not a bit. Okay. Really? Um, I have a little bit. It was a long time ago, but I have, yeah. That was the multiplayer RPG, uh, when I, or not RPG, RPG, RPG? the RPG? multiplayer first-person shooter. Oh okay. My God. Uh, because Co-op. like, we, when you growing up, your friend didn't have like the the Xbox or whatever, right? It's too expensive, so they had an N sixty four lying around, and you'd play some Goldeneye on it. So <laughs> it was great. Uh, Goldeneye had an Xbox three sixty remaster that. We knew was a thing, and we knew had gotten canceled. What we didn't know is that it was basically done. Like, the game, uh, the the Xbox 360 version has leaked and is completely playable. Um, The, uh, apparently the reasons why it it was not released, essentially, are that the company that held the licensing for Bond put so many restrictions on what they could and could not do with characters so essentially there was like bond could not do any kind of violence against anyone that wasn't explicitly the villain uh which meant your player they need to not have the option for you to do that uh and goldeneye was Uh-oh. like a bloodbath <laughs> first person <laughs> shooter so that didn't really work out uh, so yeah that, that got essentially was the reason that it didn't go through is that they were super tight with the licensing which is fun to see that now the hitman devs <laughs> Yeah. They're doing a Bond game. Oh. <laughs> so that's going to be beautiful. 
I am excited to see what comes oh. out of it because I'm sure they're not like that with licensing anymore. Because obviously, like it's games are are much more main, like mainstay now. They're in the mainstream media. Uh, it's not as taboo as it used to be in the N64 days to be shooting people in a first-person shooter. So, yeah. Do uh, you guys remember about the um the the author for the Witcher books and how he reacted yeah. with the with the deal? <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, our our last roundout game announcement before we talk about Mass Effect is Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker, which is essentially Final Fantasy XIV's endgame. It is tying oh. together and fi- finishing the arc that has been running since the launch of the game now. Uh, it is not the end for fourteen, so fourteen is right now Square Enix's cash cow, uh, especially because it's consistent. Fourteen is not losing players, so it is... Really, especially after like Avengers launch <laughs> being such a mm. an utter trash fire, uh, Final Fantasy fourteen is just a, a good consistent thing they have that consistently brings in more people uh, and gets them that monthly income. So it's good to see that still getting support, and it will continue to be getting support for a long time. By the sounds of the development team, they're stating that they're going to be uh, starting with the first patch after this expansion launches the brand new story and pushing into a new story arc. So. Very exciting to see that, and I hope to play it at some point because I've I've kind of fallen out of favor with Final Fantasy XIV just because of time. But man, that game was wonderful when I used to play it. So looking forward to that. Uh, all right, we got some delays, and by some delays, I mean it was Prince of Persia: Sands of Time remake. No but one had that on their uh, on their games no. list for the thing, did they? No. <laughs> I I don't remember if if you guys remember the the bit where we were watching the the Ubisoft show and they showed that remake, but it looked rough. Yeah, uh, the gameplay looked pretty that. good, but all the cutscenes and whatnot and the character models were iffy at best. I was they surprised were... <laughs> they were showing it off at all, to be honest, because it was like, yeah. it does not look presentable enough for like Ubis for an Ubisoft show. And the interesting thing with this delay is that we don't have even a time frame. They've just stated they're moving it to in the future. So we've we've gotten a lot of delays this year, understandably. Uh, we'll probably continue to get a lot of delays this year. Usually they're accompanied by a time frame, so this is a little more concerning, I think, in that it means they probably have a lot more work to do. Ah, sounds like it's going to be lost to the sands of time. Oh, boy. That was a stretch <laughs> by my standards. <laughs> <laughs> that was rough. <laughs> Oh, if it helped, boy. I was looking at a camera in my room it that isn't there. It 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 doesn't. <laughs> to the audience. Stop jimming the camera, Alex. All right. <laughs> uh, in more sad news, the hero shooter Battleborn is shutting down for good. I think it might actually be shut down at this point. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that happened this last week. And as much as you may want to meme on it, from what I... Uh, played, which is granted uh, a very while little, ago. kind of, kind of, yeah, bit, kind of when it bit. when it first came out, it was actually pretty cool. Yeah, like, it also I the thing I liked is it, it had a, a whole like single, not single player, but multiplayer campaign mode. Did yeah. it come out as an Overwatch competitor? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. I I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it. It marketed itself they, they as an Overwatch competitor. I think despite not that... being an Overwatch competitor. Okay, that's that's fair, I guess. I it's, it's more in it's the really vein. not the same game. I think the most similar game anyway. to it is Smite. Like yes, it is way more in the MOBA 
section than Overwatch is, but it, I do, it I do really think, actively uh, marketed itself as an Overwatch competitor. And I, I do think part of it too is that this is the first game that that uh, Gearbox had made since Colonial Marines, and I think that was still yeah. kind of a raw wound. For and like a lot this was pre Borderlands Three. I honestly feel like if Battleborn had come out more close to now, it probably would have done pretty well. Um, it yeah. feels like we're in a drop for that kind of game right now, especially. It was Seeing as it leads us into our next thing, that uh, Overwatch 2 oh. and Diablo 4 are not slated for 2021. So we are not liable to see either of those this year, which is kind of surprising for Overwatch 2, considering that I was it's gonna say, just yeah. an update, essentially. <laughs> um, it's kind of just an overhaul more than anything else. It's like, a, it's like an update it's with being... some other game modes that they're adding and some like PvE and a single content. player. Yeah. A single yeah. player, really? I don't know if it's single player or if it's co op. No, it's about time, though. It no, might... I think you can play it. I think you can do it just single player from what I remember. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, so we do know they're also working on a Diablo 2 remake with Vicarious. Uh, I would be... I'm curious to see if that's coming out soon because from the sound of it, with Vicarious works fast. Uh, they're known for working pretty quickly and they also tend to announce things very close to release. Like we got the Tony Hawk remake announcement I think about six months before the game came out and was phenomenal. So... I could see Diablo 2 Remake being this year. At the same time, I think the absorption of Vicarious into Blizzard kind of bodes poorly for that. And that it seems like they really needed the full team to be working on that. So I'm betting either we're going to see it towards the end of the year and fall, or it's going to be early 2022 would be my bet. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get worried about Blizzard. They have not put anything out for a very long time. Uh, and it seems like COVID has hit them particularly hard because I, I do believe that Overwatch 2 was set up um, for this year. And yeah, Shadowlands did did, all, did launch this past year, but uh, that WoW audience tends to be consistent regardless. So I don't think that's breaking into their, their market share for their other types of titles. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I want them to release a new game. So... <laughs> <laughs> as much as I, I would love the Diablo 2 remake, I really want to see what they have in store with Diablo 4 uh, and Overwatch 2. So hopefully that stuff comes out. All right, great. That means now we can talk about the big boy in the uh, the chat, which is or Mass Effect boys, Legendary Edition. Could we say, because there's three of them. Well, there's three of them, but they're they're being sold as one product. So it's like it's like Siamese triplets. Uh, <laughs> conjoined oh. triplets, not Siamese triplets. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm scared. <laughs> this is what happens when you spend 45 episodes in the dungeon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't even there for that whole time, but I think this is this is a cry for help. Look, I've I've been there the whole time, and it gets worse. So he's the one that actually has to upload this mess. So yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, and don't even get me started on the scripting. So <laughs> what's scripting? Well, yeah, what's scripting, Alex? <laughs> All right. So yeah, Mass Effect the Legendary Edition is a collection of all three titles with most of the DLC. Uh, there's one notable... I mean, I'm not even notable. No one really cares that this DLC is missing the pinnacle station for Mass Effect 1 because the source code does not exist anymore. Oh. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an outsourced DLC for Mass Effect 1 and is basically just like a single... Uh, it's it's like a combat simulator essentially, and there were some there were some kind of neat rewards behind it, but I think most of those are probably going to be moved to other spots in the game. So I wouldn't 
I personally am not missing that DLC. It was like 20 minutes total. <laughs> so they got all the important stuff. Is is the everything with any <laughs> narrative whatsoever is in. So we're getting all the stuff. We're also getting finally a joined character creator for all three games. So your character will look consistent across the three games. That's commonly an issue. Is that like and if you wanted your character to look good, you have to design them in Mass Effect Three and then backport them. <laughs> And that's kind of the the theme with this uh, collection in general, I think, is just kind of unifying all three games to have uh, as similar an experience as you can. Despite they are not changing Mass Effect 1, uh, which is something to mention, because Mass Effect 1 plays very differently from 2 and 3. Um, It will still be playing like Mass Effect 1, which I actually am am glad about because I find it's nice to have some variation in the trilogy. Uh, So it's cool to have the old school gameplay. I mean, there are changes. I was just looking up. I can't remember it. But like one, one and two play completely differently. <laughs> they are not the same game at all. Uh, whereas two to three is a lot more of a a like gradual shift than a dramatic change. Um, There's so a yeah. lot of little because uh, I was just reading up on this not too long ago, and I, I'm trying to find the same. They article. fixed a bunch of bugs. There's, that those bugs, but also control, uh, controls, UI, um, AI, like a lot of stuff. Yeah. Actually it's more control. that the things they've said that are notable are the things that they're not changing. So they're not changing Mass Effect 1's inventory, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a shame because 1's inventory is just like a bunch of weapon mods <laughs> that essentially did nothing. So that's a, a bit of a shame but at the same time like i get that's probably a super difficult undertaking to change how that works fundamentally but yeah i'm i'm excited to see what the remakes look like when they come out on may 14th of this year soon we're we're getting some mass effect times real soon and you know what mass effect is known for Wyatt? here we go it's known of course for miranda and Miranda is 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 getting some censorship. You you could say Miranda was a very well-rounded character. Oh yeah, you definitely could. Um, <laughs> oh boy. Sorry. I think there's uh there's two oh, big reasons oh, why oh, Asset oh, likes the character. <laughs> why why oh, likes the character. Oh, so Oh no. Yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, basically we we're acting offended at this. We're really I don't think any of us actually are. That uh, Miranda is getting slightly censored. They're not changing her model or anything, but there were a number of scenes in Mass Effect Two where the camera would just kind of focus on Miranda's rear end for long amounts of time they while she's talking. <laughs> yeah, there were definitely moments where they wanted you to take it seriously, and I remember when I played it, I just burst out laughing sometimes because yeah. it was. No, well, she goes like, into detail about like a childhood of being overly sexualized, and the camera is just zooming in on no. her. No, <laughs> oh come on. <laughs> okay, now I'm good. They're glad they're getting rid of that. Holy. So shit. there's been a lot of articles coming out about this that are very sensationalized, with titles like Mass Effect Three being censored in like all caps. Uh, they're changing camera angles, <laughs> and I I don't think anyone is going to be that upset that they're gone. Uh, and oh, I think there's I solutions be, here. Go ahead, Wes. Oh no! Surprised. I I've definitely seen. Some... I'm not surprised, but I don't think anyone who really is going to play all three games through for this trilogy is going to care that much. Yeah. Um, I yeah. I'm I'm fine with censoring if like they kind of stop here, you know, like if they don't really go much further than that. <laughs> um, 
but yeah because they're not changing yeah. dialogue they're not changing anything like that it's just camera angles uh, yeah. and, and to and be that, honest and they're bad fine. camera angles to begin with so yeah i think the uh, the and, other and solution fine. they could have done is of course add some zoom ins on garris you know, just get equal opportunity butt shots. <laughs> yes, like spread, yeah. spread, spread the wealth around. Honestly, that's, that's and you know, go, to be honest, I kind of wish it. they'd gone that route. <laughs> that would have been very yeah. entertaining. It would. No, I would have honestly. Way. I would have. I would have respected that decision a lot, actually. Yeah, <laughs> like how Marvel Comics had a male swimsuit edition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, what? Marvel Comics had a male swimsuit edition. Yeah, those, awesome. those exist. There are male swimsuit magazines. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's Mass Effect. And what Mass Effect is actually often known for is really, really good side characters. Mm-hmm. And yeah. guess what we want to talk about on this podcast? Uh, we want to get away from having to constantly just talk about video games that we're playing. So instead, we're going to talk about video games that we played before. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, what a change! Wow. <laughs> and even then, I can up. assure you, Brett and I will likely be talking about games that we are still playing. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think we're gonna start with Mass Effect because that's like the the sh- the game of the hour, as it were. Um, but I will cut us off after a certain point so we can move on to other games as well. But yeah, I think uh, Mass Effect. In general, especially the first game, the reason I think, uh, besides just being very ambitious, it was very well written and had some really, really good companion characters. And that's something Bioware in general was known for until around Anthem. a very good villain. Yeah, really good villain. Uh, And convincing villain in a lot of ways to deal with it as well. So I I do want to clarify, we're not going to be spoiling like the ending of any of the Mass Effect games. We're not going to be spoiling the ending of any like side character missions or whatnot. Uh, but we will be talking a little more in detail than we usually do about things that could be considered spoilers. So it, we might mention, like, not story, necessarily story beats, but general things that happen to characters. Uh, we'll avoid anything towards, like, the end of their stories. But in order to talk about a lot of these characters, we have to talk about how the game represents them. So we have to hit on some spoilerish territory. So just be aware. And we'll, we'll say that for for every game just in case oh yeah yeah we will you know, we're a little passionate again not going to spoil every single story <laughs> beat for a character but we might have to do a little a little bit yeah uh so yeah, yeah. A, a good rule of thumb is what we will not spoil anything around past like the halfway point essentially yeah. uh but up until then fair game for this episode at least so with mass effect that's a very interesting topic with companion characters. So I want to hear, I know most of us have played Mass Effect. Has anyone not? I haven't. I haven't. Really? I thought you two had. That most of us just turned into half. Well, that most of us turned into half. I think that most of us would (laughs) still be most of us if we had the other uh, members in here. But, unfortunately, we're stuck with you two. So... (laughs) That's okay. I've heard that that line enough. Well... (laughs) I guess I'll just leave. It's so just to uh, get see, out. I'm, Brett, I, see, I'm happy because usually those jokes locked. are pointed at leave. me. Usually those jokes are pointed at me, so I'm just happy to be on the other side this time. <laughs> Look, I, I'm just in a harsh mood today, which means uh, everyone gets <laughs> gets some of it, uh, including myself. So I'm going to add, I, I think, to get the conversation started, Mass Effect 1 is is really, really a good kind of milestone for when video games started to be taken a little bit more seriously especially with having ensemble casts 
Because we didn't get a lot of it, aside from Bioware games before then. Uh, I think the biggest things before them were probably Baldur's Gate, and even then that's more just directly taken from tabletop. That's not really uh, a unique thing to the games. So I'd be curious on if you agree with me or not. So that's when you... Sorry. Why? Why? that's you. No, you cut out. I was going to say you cut out. What was that The last part of that sentence? Oh, I just said, I think aside from like uh, Baldur's Gate and whatnot, which are tabletop forward because tabletop games are groups. So... But yeah, it, it started to be more ensemble character ness. Did, did Dragon Age Origins co uh, come out before Mass Effect? It did, uh, didn't it? Similar time. It, it was similar. with they were within a few months of each other. Really? Okay. Yeah, because Bioware had, I believe, two a split team structure working on both. Okay, so, that's interesting. Yeah, while while you why don't you talk about your your Mass Effect favorites? Why from the at least from the first like two games. Um. I think yeah, we should um, generally avoid the third game just because it's starting to get a little bit more into territory of where people haven't played. Yeah, well, it's also just, it's a game that you can't really talk about without... Yeah, like, if we want to talk about the third games. game, we have to spoil the ending of one, pretty much. Mm. Uh, yeah. Which we prefer not to do, so... I mean, I mean, you can't, you can't talk about, in my opinion, you can't talk about Mass Effect side characters without mentioning Garrus and without mentioning Tali. I mean, yep. those are like the, I mean, in the terms of like, duo. The, yeah, if, I mean, for me, it, it's definitely what it was for me. It's like when you had, when I had two people on my team as like my two partners going into a mission, it was Garrus and it was Tali because I think that, I mean, especially Garrus just, at, at least the way I played things, he was just like my closest bro and I, I loved him to death. Um, and then Tali was my, was my kind of uh, romance uh, option throughout all three games and yeah uh, and just to update dragon age was two years after mass effect oh yeah full two years um at least really? the, the xbox version yeah it feels like Ma it feels like mass effect came out after i mean it makes sense when, if you like, look at like especially the visuals of the two games i think dragon age is noticeably a little bit more detailed um I, I think it's aged worse, but it's more detailed in the graphical department. Sci-fi just lets you get away with a lot of hard edges. Because thinking about it, because I mean, I played all three Mass Effect games, and then I played um, Origins right after, pretty much. I I remember Mass Effect One looking better to me. Like, it... well, that yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is is like sci-fi? I think in general is just more friendly to video games um, than fantasy. Fantasy's got a lot of like curves. And lines that aren't straight. Since, since we are on, you know, the, the big topic of tonight is side characters, without spoiling anything, Wyatt, I remember, I think it was one of the Mass Effect games that you were talking about before, where, and, you know, the, the talking about the impact of side characters, where um something happened and you really regretted having to watch it, because you didn't spend enough time on something. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, are you talking about? Are you talking about like the ending of two? Is that what's going on? I think so. Spoiling. <laughs> I think that's two. Just, um. Oh, really yeah, and I will say for two, that, if we? we're playing Mass Effect two, we're not going to get into the ending. But okay. fair warning to everyone playing Mass Effect two: do side stuff early. <laughs> Don't skip anything. 
That is um, my recommendation. Yeah, postpone uh, the main story in Mass Effect 2 as long as you possibly can. Without spoiling, <laughs> I was absolutely adoring Mass Effect 2 up until I realized the mistake I had made. And I made the game a grindy chore yeah. for a couple of hours. And I hated it. And that was, and look, I will fully accept that it was my fault because <laughs> I was not paying attention. Yeah, Wyatt missed a side character that has a forced conversation with you at the start that becomes a party member. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I really, look, I may love these games, but I am terrible out at them in a way that i don't think <laughs> this has ever been been uh done before and I, I it is so bizarre um yeah it's impressive uh, <laughs> you miss zaid for people who have played mass effect 2 zaid is one of the first side characters you encounter i don't know if you have a mandatory him. conversation with him at the start uh the I first time his you go to omega until... station I keep forgetting his name until Ryan retells the story. The only way to not get him in your party is to never talk to him again after that first conversation. <laughs> I do not remember the conversation. I don't remember this character. <laughs> I just don't at all. It's amazing. I don't know what to tell you. I, I do not know what to tell you. I, I will say um, one was not my my favorite. Um, I think mostly because like the gameplay was very wonky for me. Like It felt... It obviously felt yeah. very dated, which isn't its fault. I One mean, also it's, it's doesn't game. really feel like a shooter should. No. Uh, if, it, it feels a lot more like, like an first, RPG. It feels like a first attempt of a third-person shooter from a, a studio that typically makes like Baldur's Gate-style RPGs. It feels like playing the, the Covenant weapons in Halo Combat Evolved, but just worse. That's a good way to put it, especially with like the giant yeah. circle crosshair and stuff like that. Uh, Big circles, there, there were, like, slow there were reloads. Moments there were moments where I was like, okay, I see what is going on here. Like I see what they're trying to do and it just, it just doesn't work a lot of the time. Um, and also the AI was frustratingly dumb for your yeah. teammates. That's one thing actually that they're fixing is like when you would command your, your AI buddies around in one, if you commanded them to a spot that was kind of near cover, but not exactly pointing at cover, they would just stand there and it was super annoying. And that is one thing that they're changing where they're, if they're close enough to cover, they'll take cover, which is actually really, yeah, a lot of quality of life stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, I'm I'm weird in that I think one is my preferred Mass Effect game. That is weird. Of all of them, <laughs> not not because of the gameplay, because like I play Mass Effect because I like the RPG side of it. So for me, it's that one I think emphasizes character builds and whatnot the most, and especially because uh, go, talking back about side characters, one has a lot more customization of what side characters do very specifically. And if you're into that kind of thing, uh, it lets you like really specialize your characters uh, and turn them into the exact like combat allies you want them to be, which in turn, for me at least, makes me a lot more attached to them. Uh, I get a lot more attached to side characters that I actively see the influence of my decisions on them in combat. So I think that made a big difference to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's like not a huge difference to the games. Like I enjoyed all three, but... Uh, yeah. I think for me, it it I kind of kind of uh, depends on on the day because sometimes I'm like I think Mass Effect Two is probably like the overall best in the entire trilogy for me. Um, but catch me on a specific day, and I'll probably like three more, just because there are so many like just epic moments in three 
that was just like I've just never finished. It had I think that's the it big had thing the reaction me. it had the reaction out of me some points where and I'm not spoiling anything, but it had the reaction out of me where like if you're watching the Super Bowl with a bunch of people that are really like into it and they just go oh and they're like freaking out. There were moments in Mass Effect three where it, I was basically doing that and it was like. Yeah. It was so much fun and like so I mean, one of the big benefits that Mass Effect has over other franchises, especially for those like side character relationships, is that they re reoccur and you carry your save over three full games uh, that are like three full games length of content. It's not like they're short games. Uh, they are it three like, very long RPGs. To be honest with you, Mass Effect 3 in a lot of ways felt like watching an Avengers movie opening night. Because it's just, it's this spectacle. There's all these characters that you know, and it's all coming to like this massive conclusion. And it's just so like epic and it's so exciting. And it's this rush to like defeat this thing. I'm not going to say what it is, but it's, oh, it was so exciting. And it, it kind of like, because I feel like there's a lot of issues with three that stemmed from its kind of uh, troubled development. But I don't know. Just some of those moments were so good that, like, I just was able to overlook a lot of the issues that I had. You know, it just because because at, at that point they're still like developing characters a little bit further. But at that point, it's more like, all right, we have these characters. Let's just go. It's the payoff of two games stuff. worth of build up, essentially. Yeah. Which is like when when you have the ability to pull that off, it's really really good. Uh, which it, it's super rare of, nowadays to get that ability which speaking of payoff if there's one thing that they're not really changing with the uh collection that much the legendary collection is that they're keeping the endings not the original mass effect 3 endings a very controversial mass effect 3 endings but they're doing the extended endings which was i think it was like free dlc as like a sorry yeah it was <laughs> um which is what i played and while I was like mostly satisfied with the ending that I got, uh, it did definitely feel rushed. And I kind of wished that they could have spent more time making, not even like adding to it, just like punching it up a little bit. Because uh, without spoiling anything, the endings that you get, because they're extended endings and they didn't really have a lot of time to put, they didn't have a lot of time to actually develop anything. They're kind of just stills like still images of like certain things depending on the ending that you get. I mean, I think the the way I would put it is uh I think the way to say this that is easy for everyone to understand and avoids any specifics is that the endings just don't really reflect your choices in the game. The extended um, endings do a better job. Yeah, but I still to the degree that Mass Effect was known for, like no, there are still, yeah. And and going back to the topic of of especially like the side characters and whatnot. Uh Mass Effect 3 and well, not just three. All the Mass Effect games have uh, loyalty missions. It's something they're they're kind of popularized for side characters. Is the idea of Which having I never to liked like the... earn their full trust? I never liked that name, by the way. It just feels weird. I wish they had called it something different. I mean, I don't what, think they ever actually is. refer to them as that in the game. I think that's just the. Name I don't like that. Happened. I don't like that name. It just. Uh... I, I, the reason they're called that is because you need to have certain characters be. Uh, it, not you need to have, but if you want certain characters to uh, be like the best version of their character that you can have, you need them to be quote unquote loyal to you, um, which essentially means like they'll respect your decisions a lot more. So uh, to do that, you obviously need to do things for them. And I think Mass Effect 1 does it the worst. Uh, the loyalty missions in one, I remember a, a mission for Liara is literally you pop down to a planet, you go to a tiny outpost, uh, kill the people there and walk out and you're done. And there's yeah. like very little story to it. 
um, there's very little dialogue. It's just not very detailed. And then you go to Mass Effect 2, and they are pumped up to 11. Like, none of them are particularly long, but I think most of them are around 20 minutes to half an hour in length. But they are a lot more dense and packed with details about the character, uh, learning a lot more about their relationship to other people. I think it's something that is they're really also very, important in games. Uh, they're also very unique from a gameplay perspective. Like I remember, um, like uh, Morin's loyalty mission, for example, was very like dialogue heavy yeah. and really didn't have that much action to it at all. But it perfectly fit what that loyalty mission was supposed to be. It did such a good they job. fit the characters too. It's like if you're, if you're talking to a character that's a scientist, of course their loyalty mission isn't gonna be go murder a bunch of people. Like. <laughs> Yeah, if you're gonna do an Erd not Rex uh, side mission, you're gonna be messing some dudes up. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, like the, that's, the that's missions fit the works. characters very well, which is a lot of fun because uh, yeah. they kind of expand on what you know about them. So, I, I think even people that haven't played Mass Effect will will be familiar with the concept of loyalty missions now because a lot of other games have started to do them. Although generally now, I'd say they're mandatory. <laughs> they're not really yeah. side content in most games anymore. Um. But yeah, it's something that is is really really common. Uh, for, I think based off of Mass Effect and even Dragon Age started doing it as well. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's a really really cool system. I, I think in particular standouts that I want to call out in Mass Effect besides just Garrus and um, Tali, uh, I really really like the entire cast of Mass Effect One, which is like Liara. Uh, a lot of characters in Mass Effect One don't necessarily return as playable characters because. Uh, Mass Effect does mix up who your party members are every game. It's not like a, a game that you're going to be constantly traveling could, with the same group of people. Which was can be a little bit annoying. Like if, for instance, you your romance was like Liara in the first game, she just doesn't show up at all, or at least that much in the second game. Yeah, you have to kind of actively so like, seek her out if you want to find her again. Yeah, but and the romance doesn't really carry over. It does in the third game from what I remember, but not not from one to two yeah and I the third game is a lot who... better about it and that especially uh that's why people say the citadel dlc is so good is that the uh ending not the ending the um third game respects every decision you've made over the course of the franchise related to characters so it, you get to see the kind of outcomes of all of your choices and whatnot a lot more than two allowed you to do with characters from one so. right yeah I, i'm definitely Looking forward to being able to replay these games. Um, I, I, I am a little sad that I played these games uh, more recently for the first time. And now there's this remastered trilogy coming out. And I was like, oh, I kind of wish I had started with that instead. <laughs> yeah, because I started playing. I played through one, had a lot of fun. And then I started two, but gave up because on two on PC has no way to change the mouse sensitivity. Oh, uh, it was. It is it so awful. Like I had to change yeah. my DPI to I think fifty for it to be tolerable. I have too fast never or too slow? Uh, way too fast. Yeah. Way and, too fast. And to add on to that, there's no controller support. Yeah. Uh, so you for can't all use a controller. Three of them, I think. Yeah, Ooh, all three. I, I think I think Mass Effect Three might have limited controller support. I don't know if it's everything, but it's just bonkers to see that in a game that was simultaneously developed for consoles and PC. So. I am really, really hoping the remakes fix that, or I'm just gonna get the Switch version <laughs> and play them on the I will, Switch. I will also say it has this nasty habit of remapping a ton of controls to one button. Like I yeah. remember, what was it like? They they remapped the enter cover button and sprint to the same button. Yeah, because like that two like, and three crazy. have some crazy button mappings, 
which is weird because one had them all separated. I think one was probably more designed for PC than the later games. The same case has happened with Dragon Age, where Dragon Age is a lot more friendly to PC in Origins than it is later on, although Dragon Age is still pretty friendly because it's not a shooter. Uh, <laughs> they they didn't need to adapt controls as well to PC. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Despite probably having the worst uh, combat, it has one has the best controls, which is yeah. which is kind of interesting. It it makes it it holds up better in comparison because of the controls being tolerable. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I think that's that's a pretty good overview of our our bits from Mass Effect. I think uh, the one thing I do want to call out specifically as the mission that I think really demonstrates a character archetype. And this is minor spoilers for an early mission in Mass Effect 2. Uh, there's your warning. Get out now if you don't want to hear spoilers about Garrus's first introduction to Mass Effect 2. Uh, but in Mass Effect 2, like Garrus in, in 1 is a, a character that you get to know very well. Uh, and his introduction in 2 kind of throws a lot of that into like this fun limbo of when you meet him, you have to kind of put together the dots as to what he is now. Uh, oh. and how he got there and it doesn't always make sense at first but after a little while you start to be like yeah this is totally what this this dude would end up doing in this situation and i think that's a lot of fun when you know a character well enough that you can really see like why they're in the situation they're in um yeah. and get to see especially through dialogue like the reflections your choices had because regardless of your decisions in one he will end up in that position in two but the way he acts about it is a little bit different uh, which I think is the key thing in a lot of a lot of games is that you don't necessarily need to have a completely different outcome, but you need to reflect like in dialogue the choices that the player made. Uh, so I think that's really really good in his introduction. Uh, it's also fun because you don't know it's him until you see him, which is a, a really cool way because I think a lot of people put it together as they're going through that mission. They're like, "Huh, being a little familiar here," and then eventually you realize <laughs> who it is, <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, I think we'll we're gonna move on from Mass Effect for now. But that does mean, hey, Brett and Alex. Yeah. Yes. I want to talk about side characters and games that you two have played. I I, I, st I stopped playing video games years ago. I actually don't know why I'm here. So so Brett, I'm gonna say one word. <laughs> I don't either. If that makes you feel any better. Brett, I'm gonna say one word three times, and I want you to tell me the character that comes to mind. <laughs> guns, guns, guns. <laughs> guns, guns, guns. <laughs> Uh, okay. Are we only talking about him? Or no, no. The, the wingman. So wingman? I wanna I wanna give some some special context to this because I think a lot of people have not played flight action games like Ace Combat or Project Wingman, uh, and many will not know that they have stories. <laughs> very good ones. Often for very some good reason. ones that have a lot of good characters. Uh, so Ace Combat Seven, I think we can kind of put to the side here because I think the prevailing opinion about Ace Combat 7 is that it just doesn't give you enough time with any of the characters on the side. It's, yeah. Like, um, Count, Count is cool, but he's not as iconic as any of the wingmen. In and it's also only ones. Count. Like, it's, it's only, only count. count. Yeah, pretty much. Well, you have entire squads of cool people. But. Faction in one of them. I thought of, like, Belarus, but that's a real country. Belkin is, yeah. Okay, Baloney also came to mind, but that was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a sandwich that's meat. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, uh, so Ace Combat, 
to to get count out of the way i think count has some really cool rivalry moments it's the when you have a game that doesn't have in-person movement ever you need to do your characterization in unique ways and so the yeah. way that ace combat and other flight action games do it is through radio chatter uh, and brett has talked about especially i think project wingman's radio chatter on the podcast a few times um, yes and, and talked about how cool it is so i finally got around to playing it and man is it cool <laughs> it is it's brilliant man like oh my you god you really get to know these characters from very carefully selected snippets of dialogue like they have two seconds in the middle of a fight to say something so what do they say uh you got to really really put some work in to make sure that you get their personalities right and make them displayable through probably a grand total of like a minute of talking time <laughs> guns 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 <laughs> <laughs> galaxy's got a bit more galaxy talks a lot so galaxy has a lot of galaxy's probably um if 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 I can if I could just jab in right there, I think even uh, compared to the Ace Combat AWACS, yeah. I think he is probably my favorite AWACS. I don't. He he, has the, I only remember one AWACS from Ace Combat, and that's Longcaster, just because his name was cool. I don't remember oh, anything. Well, he yeah, says. their names are sick. Is, is Longcaster seven? It's so seven. It's like the second to last AWACS you get. Oh, so he's not the he's not the guy that eats all the time. I don't know. <laughs> Is there someone speeding over radio chatter? It's yeah, yeah. Like you just hear a mukbang. In he's the, plane? the one. No, you don't hear him eating, but he's like, uh, he'll be like, uh, yeah, uh, make like trigger and make a sandwich when he's like, <laughs> yep. like talking about doing the mission. Oh it's like, God. oh, that's cute. Um, but yeah, a galaxy is like, because if you if you read into his uh, like little notes section, uh, he's a DJ. Yeah, and so he has all that personality because he's a DJ and it's cool. Yeah. I, I think it's a, a really fun thing with him. Um, all the side characters. I think project Wingman does this a lot better than ace combat and is a, a good game to demonstrate it because when you think of characters in a flight game, you're like, okay, so you have your squadron. You probably got those people. So who's in your squadron? You have probably one or two other fighter planes. So you've got diplomat and uh, comic in wingman and i think it says a lot that i can remember their names but almost none of the names of anyone in ace combat 7 um it's, yeah <laughs> aside from the characters that show up a lot in cutscenes uh so yeah it, it's important to characterize really well and wingman does a really good job of giving them character even just like names uh there's nicknames so diplomat calls comic mick constantly it's very fun um, and, and diplomat then, is dip. Yeah, diplomat's dip, of course. And then you got mm -hmm. Galaxy, who is your uh, aerial support, essentially, that directs you to do things. And of course, he's got to have some character, so you get a nice, fun DJ man to direct you to blow things up, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and then so, I think yeah. everyone's favorite character in Project Wingman, uh, Brett, is Prez. With without a doubt. Without a doubt. Because what's what's important to note is that. You know, you play you play the flight games like ninety percent of the ones are like arcadey enough where like if you just play them and don't know anything about like jet fighters or anything, you don't know what a WSO is, and I don't even know what that stands for. But that's the person that sits in the seat behind the. Guy I think it's it's weapon systems things. operator. I'm pretty sure. I'm not a hundred percent positive though. That, that we'll, we'll go with that because. <laughs> 
no one is here that's that can tell us that that's wrong so you know what we're, so it's right correct. now <laughs> it's right until someone says it isn't um but yeah so there's like a, a big part of ace combat and wingman is that you get like upwards of like 20 jets by the end of the game and at least like half of them usually are two seaters and the ace combat game not a single one has like worried about who sits behind you like at all like it's, just it gets weird not like there. you'll be in a in a cockpit there'll be super dramatic moments where everyone's like saying whoa trigger's doing something really cool and then you're like who's the guy behind me <laughs> and <laughs> it's lame <laughs> It doesn't really matter too much when the game has like PS2 graphics and either pilot might be like the equivalent of like a like a JPEG or something yeah. in the and you can't really like tell it like, it's fine and it's not the worst thing ever even when they are like modeled in HD graphics but it is weird enough to be like why why isn't is is he okay I am doing post stall maneuvers and firing railguns at a million miles an hour and he hasn't said anything for the past 18 missions I think he's dead <laughs> But in Wingman, <laughs> in Wingman, they give your WSO a character since it follows the the Ace Combat line of thinking, and you, your the character you play as doesn't say anything. Your your co-pilot kind of talks for you, and has like it. She bounces off of all the other like radio chatter perfectly. And to specify, you also- only get this co-pilot when you're flying a two-seater. Yes, like this character is completely optional, essentially. Um, but is like a fully fleshed out role. Uh, and a lot of people like myself will try to play every mission in a two seater so we can get all the dialogue with Prez. And it gets progressively harder to do so. Yep. <laughs> it's when it's a fun you're... little challenge. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting when you can make a character compelling enough that people will actively choose to try and do something very difficult. <laughs> oh yeah. All the dialogue. Like that's it's it's an achievement i think to like make people go through something that like there's not even a steam achievement for it like there's no like tangible benefit for going through the game on what is essentially like hard like hard mode mode. (laughs) it's yeah with like you can't pull off the fanciest maneuvers you can't use the fanciest weapons you're limited by like the the best two-seater is is an f-14 and that's even like out of commission in in our like modern militaries but you have to do it if you want to hear what prez has to say up until the very last mission because you won't know otherwise yeah you'll never honestly know. it's kind of the best achievement one that isn't listed yeah it, it's also a nice like optional challenge uh, and it also makes for great pc mods uh, including the mod known as the prez everywhere system which <laughs> allows you to have prez in any plane but of course this mod isn't just like you get the dialogue no they just put her as a where the two seater pilot seat would be on the plane, just in the plane. So her three D model is constantly just like sticking through the roof if you do that, which is why oh. I'm not using it. Um, oh, no. awesome. I would totally awesome. use that if it didn't do that, but it's hilarious to see. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a fun thing when a game can get like a side character with minimal dialogue impressive enough to warrant something like that. Uh, so yeah, I think that that's just a really cool bit of fun in flight games. Yeah, you certainly wouldn't expect them to have good side characters, but it's here we are. Yep, <laughs> here we are, and you know where that is, Alex. Oh, 
That's the realm of I want you to to pick a game with a side character you you like. Oh, with a oh, and um, yeah, just just clearing thing things up. These aren't side characters that you like have control over or anything, right? They, or they can or can't. Be. I mean, it depends. I would say in like a JRPG, it, that'd be okay because it's a JRPG. Uh, but oh. in, in the case of like general like supporting games, cast, you, yeah, as supporting well, that cast, would fight beside you. Because oh. like Mass Effect, you can kind of control the side characters. You don't play them directly, but they're your party members. One hundred percent, the Uncharted series. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, because there's that. just so much character in you know there um uh, there there's character somewhat in their in their designs within the realms of you know stylized realism, but the the conversations they have are just so fun to listen to and like they'll be have like um when you're playing with um so you're playing the main character and if you have the uh the love interest with you in missions like they can be talking about what you know they're planning on having for dinner in the middle of shooting out an entire private military (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i remember because i've only played through and finished um one and two and i it's been a very long time since i played two uh i more recently played one and one has some issues but the characters in it are really really solid for it only gets better from there from character development yeah it's insane to see them throughout the the four and uh, technically five games it's really it's a good payoff i i want to i want to pay special mention to four just because uh i think in the other three it was all it was all good stuff, but it was more uh, sort of fun surface level. But I feel like four kinds of, kind of like um, puts the characters through their paces in terms of their in terms of their like relationship with each other. Oh yeah, and so it just makes for the most interesting kind of uh, dynamic between all the the characters that you've come to know really well. Especially yeah, because I, they they introduce a new character that kind of throws a monkey wrench into everything. Oh well, yeah, you you get backstory, and then after a lot of the backstory sections, it feels like you have almost had you know those four games of character development with that new character that's just been involved. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I also want to put special shoutouts to Destiny One because. What? As much as everyone hates, uh, as much as much as everyone hates Dinklebot. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. I gotta say, when I was when I was a youngin playing Destiny One, man, I miss the voice of Dinklebot, even if it was terrible. <laughs> that wizard came from the moon. <laughs> Wasn't very good. <laughs> Excuse me, way Brett, whatsoever. you put way too much passion and uh, and energy into that. You got to you got to dial that down like five. They more didn't room. give him any direction. What else was he supposed to? Do? It's also you sound, for people you that don't know. Tired, okay? Peter Dinklage does not like video games. Like really hates video games, and he's one of the few people who has very good reasons that I'm not gonna go into. Like he had a lot of personal issues with family mm-hmm. members and games, so I get it. Oh. I, I understand his his pain, but I still don't know why he accepted a voice acting role for. Him. Yeah, really. <laughs> hey, at least we have uh, Nathan Drake as a ghost now. Yeah, and it is was, just Nathan was, Drake as a ghost. I I really don't think he was too much of an improvement, to be honest with you. No, yeah, because he kind of did he kind of did a Dinklebot impression, and he didn't really do too much of his own thing. I think in comparison, like he could have had a lot more fun than. He ended up having with the role, what I which you know like maybe they didn't it. want him to. I guess. Yeah, what they I don't might have like about it now. is that he sounds very like timid, almost, whereas like uh, 
whatever you have to say about Dinklebot's voice, he had a lot more kind of like presence, um, I think. Presence. That was the word I was looking for. Whereas Dinklebot, I mean, not Dinklebot, uh, Nolanbot just seems really like timid and, and like squirrely. And I just, I, I think it's kind of annoying and it doesn't really. And they started to work I, that I, into I, his character too. Something that I will say about this is specifically in Beyond Light, I don't think you will find a single Destiny player um, who has played through Beyond Light that will not say that uh, one of the specific uh, story missions in there where you steal uh, a stasis gun from from the Fallen uh, is just their favorite voice line that... Um, what? That uh, Nolan North has ever done for Ghost. So... I, it, it, it's, I guess, kind of spoilery, but it's it's Destiny Tale. Um, so you're you're stealing. So stasis is the new elemental type of damage subclass, things like that that you get with the you know with the uh, Destiny Two Beyond Light. God, I'm already falling um, asleep. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> not you. Not you. It's it's it's, it's all Destiny. Please, man, talk. So you have so, but you're going into the the Fallen's base of operations to steal what's essentially an ice grenade launcher. Um, Wonderful, fun as always. And and so and there's an interesting development story behind this too, which is uh, so uh, Todd Havercorn, I believe, is the voice actor for Drifter. Uh, in the in I the, think that's correct. Yeah. I can't confirm and, off the top of my head, but. Uh, and do and uh, you were supposed to be having Drifter uh, narrate sort of the the heist mission to steal this gun because of COVID nineteen and maybe other work related things. He wasn't available to do the voice lines, so they had Nolan North originally do a Todd Havercorn impression for Drifter, and he got it spot on. Like they couldn't tell the difference, uh, unlike you know when he did. Cade's voice, and you can just hear that little bit of yeah, North a little bit, a little bit of North leaking through. Uh, but he was exactly like him, so they told him to tone it back a bit, and he does Ghost doing an impression of Drifter, and it's amazing. <laughs> That's pretty what? fun. I love stuff like that in games where like a weird development story turns into a, a legitimately like fun moment in the game. Let's see these here ether tanks on this rooftop. I have I have a question. Why? Why is he the person that they always fall back on when they don't have the person, the character's normal voice actor there? I mean, presumably I he's I already know, got a working relationship with them. It's, it's also so why weird. I like to call Destiny "Whoops, all Nolan North." <laughs> <laughs> it's it's accurate. It just yeah. it's so weird. I can't deny it. Um. All right. <laughs> well. Of the coattails of that, I want to talk about a, a kind of a different type of side character briefly, and that is procedural characters. Now, Explain. what I mean when I say oh, procedural wait, characters is stuff like the Nemesis system uh, and oh. Watch Dogs Legion. So, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of these games when they think of side characters, but I've recently been replaying Shadow of War, um, as well as playing uh, Total War Three Kingdoms, which has a similar system where it's not completely random characters they're they're historical figures uh, from the three kingdoms period in china but they all have very unique elements to them and the way like that characters are made very important in that game uh kind of has this this 
same way of forming dynamic stories that uh, Shadow of Mordor and War do. So that's something I really want to see in, in more games. Um, not even just like a nemesis system, because obviously that's patented now. <laughs> so we might not be getting that in other games for a while, but it is really exciting to me when I'm playing a game and there's like a character that you can have a relationship with that no one else does. Uh, so I was playing recently Shadow of War, and I, I keep getting beat up by this one, one angry little orc boy who runs around with some javelins and a big torch on his head and just, <laughs> like, screams at you. And... <laughs> As orcs do, yes. So I, I started looking, doing some digging into how that system works, uh, and GameMaker's Toolkit came out with a really good video on it. Uh, I don't remember if this is recent or not, but uh, a little while ago about how the system actually works behind the scenes. And there's some really, really cool stuff that's there to kind of generate these characters that I think shows a very intimate knowledge of how character relationships work um, with, with the, that the dev team had. So the, the general outline of how the system works is that the, in order to have unique captains, you'll probably encounter like 100 captains that you remember over the course of a Shadow of War game, essentially. So every one of those captains has to have something unique, but at the same time, they can't all be super unique or else none of them are unique anymore, essentially. So the, the rarity super, no one will be. of events happen... Yeah, exactly. The rarity of events happening with them changes based on how much the player interacts with them. So it is far more likely that a character will gain a unique trait if you continue to interact with them. Um, and obviously there's a few... Like caveats to that. So, like, if a character kills you multiple times, that's like the clearest path to that. Of if they continually kill you, you're interacting with them a lot, and they're not at risk of dying. Uh, but then there are things like there's a small chance, and I'm talking small chance. It's like I think less than five percent uh, that an enemy will um, not die when you kill them, and instead like have a death-defying feat. And I'm not talking like they come back later. I'm talking in the moment you're doing your kill animation. They'll, like, grab your sword and throw you on the ground and run away. Uh, it's super rare, but when it happens, it's incredibly memorable, and then that character, like, gets boosted up a lot in that rating ranking system for more things happening with them. So I just think that's super interesting that the game kind of encourages you to continue interacting with these people. Um, that is cool. I've never heard of that before. It's really, really cool. And one thing that Shadow of War does a lot better than Mordor, I think Mordor tended to have this end point with the orcs where once you recruited them, their story was kind of done. Like that was the last point you'd ever see them really evolve. Uh, but shadow of war, you have the ability to call in allies and you can change that ability to instead call in a bodyguard who is an orc captain of your choosing that you've recruited. And these captains can then do some crazy stuff like save you from dying if you're getting killed. So it then extends that story that you can turn like someone who was your enemy into a, a, an ally um, and you can start doing like death defying stunts with them. So I just think that system is really, really cool, uh, especially how they evolved it in war. And, and it shows a very deep knowledge of how to create those interesting stories. So I want to give some credit to that. You're really no kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The inner workings of Shadow of War's Nemesis system are really impressive. Uh, especially because, like, at the first glance, it doesn't seem that different from Mordor's, but there's a lot of really cool things going on. So, definitely worth a playthrough now, considering the game is, like, constantly $5. <laughs> 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 
for the deluxe edition on most platforms at any point of sale. So I would definitely recommend playing the game through if you have a chance. Um, but yeah, there's some really, really cool stuff that can happen. So credit to the, nice. the people that designed that system. Um, but yeah, so I want to hear what's, what's another game that you guys really like the side characters from? Um, I got one. So I've been, I've been playing, uh, the Bioshock series recently. I finished one, uh, actually just yesterday and i started playing two today um and it got me thinking a lot about because i actually played infinite before i played one and two and i i love elizabeth as a side character uh both in terms of how she uh interacts in gameplay but also just her role in the story and also just how she exists in the space and what i mean by that is like if you're just walking around you're doing your your Bioshock Infinite thing, she she can just be like staring around at the at the sights and sounds and like be interacting with various objects in the game world itself and stuff. And literally you can just watch her do stuff uh and just and just look around at the environment and, and, and just have all these little actions going on that I thought was so cool. Um now what's great is that she doesn't really feel like uh it doesn't really feel like an escort mission at all because they don't attack her, but what she does is she like is basically like a support character. And so she does these cool things like, oh, I'm running out of machine gun ammo. All of a sudden she's like, hey, Booker. And then she like throws you a bunch of like machine gun ammunition. Oh. Or like she'll throw you some coins to spend on a vending machine. Um, and then her also, obviously she also has her power of like, of like having these tears into different points in time. And so she can call in like different machines to help you out or set up like bits of cover and stuff like that. So I think she she adds a lot to the gameplay and the combat, but also just talking with her and how different your guys' perspectives are as characters on the city you're in and just how everything progresses with the story, I think is just super, super cool. And uh, she was also voice acted uh, beautifully and also animated beautifully as well. Like I said, just her interacting with the environment was just so interesting to watch uh, sometimes. Yeah, and I think that that reinforces what I was saying about like how Shadow of War gets you to care about characters by making you interact with them a lot. Like you are constantly interacting with Elizabeth. It's not just like she's there; she is yeah. constantly like helping you out in combat and like a constant component of what you're doing. And that's uh, a really important yeah. thing to make like a good side character that you care about. They have to they they have to have a good like presence in the story, but also presence in the gameplay as well. Which and makes I think the Go ahead. Oh, sorry. which makes the ending hurt so much more. <laughs> yeah, and 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 it's why like, and it's why she's so effective is because like she's a legitimate aid in combat. Like I can't tell you how many times it's like, oh crap! Like I'm using the the sniper rifle, and there's like a ton of guys that are out of reach, and I don't really have anything else. And then all of a sudden, she just hands me more sniper rounds, and it's just, <laughs> oh, it's so yeah. so nice. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, I think Bioshock's definitely a good uh, game for that. I think um, in the similar vein to Bioshock, kind of, not really, but uh, <laughs> Dishonored does similar stuff with its companion characters, uh, where you have a, a like rotating rogues gallery, essentially, of allies and villains that kind of alternate at certain points. Um, and you have a lot of relationships with these side characters that you get to know a lot about, and it makes it very satisfying as a... Brett, Alex, and I were, were having a fun watch night of a show the other day, and, and Brett very eloquently put it that it makes it a lot more gratifying when you see someone get completely and utterly destroyed 
don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> when it is made very clear how horrible they are. Uh, and Dishonored especially is very good at that. So I think that also, on the negative end, makes a lot of side like bad side characters, evil side characters, uh, very, very fun to interact with. Yeah, how to, to make see, a like, villain is yeah very important, especially in the case of like that. not a main villain. Mm. What was that, Brett? You know what also does that pretty well, I think, um, with side 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 villains, side characters. Uh, Metal Gear Solid is a, it's like the side characters in the cast of of Metal Gear Solid are like they talk more than Snake does. It feels like. Um, and especially with like some of the, like, you'll you'll walk up to like, um, like a boss room, and you'll just get paragraphs and paragraphs of how like horrifying yeah. of a person they are, and then it's like the most annoying gimmicky PS one boss fight in the world. Um, but then you know, you're 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 brought. What were you gonna say? You know, or maybe a seventy minute cutscene. <laughs> seventy minute cutscene, and and you're you're brought down from the the high of finally just defeating them by even longer than the boss fight. The scene of them having their dramatic Shakespearean death of yes, they were they were a, a terrorist. They've killed this many people. Their lives have been completely ruined from the day they were born on this planet. Um, but then, in typical Kojima fashion, they get the the huge send off of snake just standing over there what is essentially <laughs> talking corpse yeah all all the interactions with all the the side characters and the people that snake talks to in that game are like absolute gold they're their perfection yeah i think especially kojima in general has a, a real talent for yeah. characters like that um and a lot of the time it's ridiculous like <laughs> i but i think that's part of the charm so, when a character called like Die Hard Man gets you to do things, I was just yeah. Yeah. I was just it's always Die Hard Man because it's the one that is is the most insane, especially for a character that is very straight laced, like Die yeah. Hardman is. He's the most, he's the most like serious character out of like <laughs> the entire yeah. cast, basically. <laughs> um, so. So yeah, I think Kojima especially fragile is that much better. Yeah, to be honest. Oh, yeah, fragile is pretty good. Uh, we got Die Hard Man. We got just Mama. Mama, yeah. <laughs> Man, I love Kojima. Uh, and that's to say, like a lot of those characters are really, really compelling. So, I think making you care despite the fact that they're ridiculous, <laughs> and then sometimes because they're ridiculous, uh, it's another achievement. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's similar to when you're playing an Ace Combat or Project Wingman, and you're just referring to characters as like, oh yeah, that's diplomat. We call him Dip. It's still a ridiculous name for someone. <laughs> <laughs> but in it's the moment, pretty, you really it's, don't it's care. Pretty, it's a pretty ridiculous name, if you ask. Me. Okay, and like, that's it. I gotta give it to Wingman, especially because I think Wingman has has a line that gets said like offhandedly at the start of a mission that actually explains. Why you never use people's names? It's like, yeah, if you guys use your names, you know, enemy might be able to listen into our our chatter. So that's on you if you get caught. <laughs> it's yeah, because you're you're working for a mercenary organization. So if they find out your identity, they're just they're just gonna kill you because you're fighting an actual military. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a lot of fun uh, when you get that kind of little bit of detail. Yeah. Uh, continue, Brett. Um, and I'm also I I. 
I am also being pestered by someone who is uh, currently listening and is uh, DMing me to talk about something that I promised that I would talk about. Yeah. Um, very, very strange situation for a side character to be in. Uh, Gilgamesh in the Final Fantasy series is... Uh, I, I, I jokingly half jokingly said that he was my favorite character in Final Fantasy V. Yeah. Um because he's he's the funny boss with the cool music cuz cuz Clash on the Big Bridge plays. Um but then like you meet him in this horrible void near the end of the game and instead of fighting you, he just has this really dramatic speech about him being trapped in the void. And oh. normally that would just be like, oh wow, what a what a what a strange thing for it to be the most heart wrenching character of of this of this funny little game. That that's crazy. And then Square Enix uses the fact that he's trapped in the void to just put him in other Final Fantasy games that are not tied <laughs> yeah. to the to five at all it's great he just appears in other ones and is constantly like yeah it's okay this isn't the right place uh where's the main character from five do you guys know who he is oh don't kill me and and you have to fight him every time but (laughs) it's yeah i would be i would be torn apart Um, i also love that in 15 he just becomes a very serious boss out of nowhere is he really (laughs) yeah he's just He's like the gatekeeper of power or something. Um, I don't fully remember because the story in that game is kind of like a fever dream. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, he, he has a bit of a different role in that game. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and I also got to shout out, you say Final Fantasy bosses with cool music. I just got to point out, Final Fantasy fourteen has a boss called Alexander Prime. And his theme has a moment where it stops and screams Sonic Boom. And then yeah. they start rapping. And this is a theme no that is way. in the game. I've posted it in the chat if you scroll up a little bit. Uh, That's sick. But man, wow. it is incredible. It, <laughs> it is maybe my favorite moment in any Final Fantasy song ever. I'll listen to uh, it after this. <laughs> because it sounds straight out of like a Sonic game. It, yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like some Sonic butt rock going on. <laughs> uh, but it is incredible. <laughs> so yeah, I got to get your reaction to that afterwards, Brett. But yeah. Um, I think Final Fantasy especially has got some really standout characters. Like, even though 15 was pretty much panned a lot for how it handled displaying its story, I don't think anyone can can say that, like, the main cast wasn't a great dynamic. Like, they really nailed the sense of being on a road trip with buds. Now, whether or not that was a, a good thing to have in the Final Fantasy game in the first place is very debatable, but they they nailed the feeling they were going for. Um, that that seems to be the thing that people most appreciate about that game, and in yeah. the sea of things that are awful about it, that seems to be the the one island of this is okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just really fun to see all the character interactions. Uh, I think it's just a shame the game has a habit of like not allowing you to see scenes unless you do very specific events that trigger things. Uh, like it, there's a really really cool scene with a uh, Prompto, who's your your camera buddy, who takes cool screenshots in fights. Uh, you can get this really, really cool bit of backstory about him. But for that backstory to make sense, you have to have watched the four-episode anime that they put out beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just a lot of like little things if they decided to put the backstory in a four-episode kind of mediocre, weird anime. Um, There was the Kingsglaive movie that, to be honest, was better than any of the story actually in Final Fantasy XV. 
um, which you need much to watch more to understand the the story. But, that, right? but that's not saying very much. No, Kingsglaive <laughs> is legitimately entertaining. Like it's a good movie. <laughs> it's got some really cool action scenes. Uh, All right. But you don't. You can play Final Fantasy 15 without having seen Kingsglaive because Kingsglaive seems like it has a lot of importance to the plot of 15. Then really oh. doesn't. Oh. Then really doesn't. Oh. Uh, the only difference it makes is, of course, there's a character that's used as the driving force. And this is an example of how not to do a side character. Um, Luna Freya is a side character in Final Fantasy XV who is very important throughout the start of the game because she's like the driving interest for your main character, Noctis, to kind of get to this location so he can meet her and, and do some cool magic stuff, essentially. So there's a lot of buildup to meeting her. You meet her, and then she's just never in the game again. <laughs> like, cool. You, you meet her, and then that's that's it. Like, she's done. Um, Good. You don't... <laughs> which is such a shame, because if you watch Kingsglaive, she's a really cool character. She does some, some really awesome stuff. And then in the main game, you kind of see her do, like, one thing, and then she's just not in the story anymore, which is a very real shame, because there are basically no good uh, side characters in that game that are compelling. Sounds uh, like it kind of got the the destiny treatment where the the anime is yeah. grimoire cards. Mm. <laughs> yeah, very very kind of kind of a good <laughs> comparison actually. Um, there's a lot we can say about Final Fantasy 15, but uh, yeah, one game I do think is noticeable for us having not talked about it, it yet is Cyberpunk. I um, was gonna say we can't we can't so, have this episode and not talk about Jackie. So yeah, I want to give a special set of shoutouts to Cyberpunk because I think regardless of your beef with that game, um, especially because the game deserves a lot of beef, <laughs> they're the one thing that it, you cannot ding that game for is the writing of the side characters. Like every single one of them is phenomenal. Uh, and I really, really think that it deserves a lot of special praise for that. Not for most of the game, but for that. <laughs> to specify. Uh <laughs> However, I will put the caveat here of we're we're planning to do an actual episode on Cyberpunk, so I don't want to get too into um the character stories because we will be doing like a spoiler episode where we can fully talk about them in a lot more detail. Um to, to sum it up though, there were yeah. multiple times for multiple different side characters where it did I I got I got pretty emotional about it. Like I'm not even And if you know why, he doesn't get emotional anyway. about anything. Shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Literally sorry. It's nothing. not that's not true. That is, is not true, but yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that kind of alone says a lot, where it's like if you can get legitimately emotional over, you know. Uh, and for very different, for very different reasons, too. And yeah, not to every character has a very different, like, backstory and, like, set of things that makes you care about them. They all end differently, too. Like, they don't all just like, okay, you help me with this thing. I guess we're cool now. No, they all are in very different uh, places in the story and just the, and everything in general, not to go yeah. too specific with it. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the Cyberpunk characters in depth, but yeah, special shout out to that game. Uh, if you ha have a PC and can play the mostly bug-free version, um, especially if you're into character writing, it is a really, really good kind of case study on what to do right for a lot of side characters. Uh, especially the the ones that are like ever present, like Johnny, is a, a super convincing character by the end of the game. It is. Quite I will an say, evolution. yeah, yeah. I was gonna because for the longest time I was like, I feel like he's kind of one note, and then it takes a complete one eighty, and I and it 
took me by surprise. <laughs> it was yeah. kind of shocking. So yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting game for that perspective. Um, so another game I like to mention, not necessarily for the strength of its side characters, but for the sheer memorability of them, is I'm Sworn to Carry Your Burden Skyrim. <laughs> in the Elder Scrolls in general. So I think the interesting <laughs> thing to look at with the Elder Scrolls is that I really believe Oblivion and um, I I don't remember Morrowind nearly as clearly. I, I vaguely remember there being some good side characters in Morrowind. They didn't uh, have companions, though, I believe. Yeah. But I, yeah, those aren't side characters. No, I would, I would get companions as side characters. Um, well, I mean, you, they don't have to be companions to be side yeah, characters. Yeah, they don't have to, which is what I was going to say, because I, I think uh, Martin in Oblivion is a really, really compelling character uh, who you're spending a lot of the game like learning about this, this like son of the emperor and you get to do some, some really, really cool stuff with him. Uh, and by the end of the game, you kind of realize it's not really, you're not the protagonist <laughs> of the game. He is. You're the um, hero of Kavach, not the hero of this story. Yeah. Which I think works really well for an Elder Scrolls game because it means you don't need to fall into the, the chosen one trope that Skyrim does. Yeah. Uh, and you get a lot more Which freedom to make your character. Six. Yeah. You get a lot more freedom to kind of direct what your character is like. Uh, but Oblivion especially has some super memorable side characters, and I think every one of the guilds has memorable stuff. Um, so yeah, I want to give a shout out to that. Skyrim, on the other hand, has some cool characters. But it's got a lot of fluff. And, and by fluff, I mean Lydia. So... Who is, in, in case you forgot, <laughs> sworn to carry your burdens, just in oh, case yep. you forgot. And, uh, God, what, what's her name? Serena? Serena? Yeah, I think Ser Serena is the... I think Serena is probably how they say it. I, it's been a while since I played it. Um, I, Serana, I think. Who's the... Serana. Uh, Serana. Another one that I that I uh, traveled with a lot back when I played a lot of Skyrim, what's the uh, the elf guy's name that you meet really early on? Um, Vandal? Van yes. Fangle. Yeah, I think there is one good side character, or at least one good companion in Skyrim, and that's Serana. <laughs> um, because she actually has a lot to say about what you're doing most of the time. And that the unfortunate thing of them having so many companions in Skyrim, I think, is that a lot of them don't have any depth. It's uh, quantity, not quality. Yeah, and a few of them are, are better than others. Like, I remember there's a, a Dark Elf near... Um, like Winterhold in yes that yeah, has like a mace he's like a dark mage no not not her um there's, a, there's oh. a, like a mace and dark mage priest dude oh. you can get who has some like oh. cool lines about the surrounding area he's he's up in um that that's one of the he's with one of the one of the daedric weapon quests right yeah he's an optional side character from a daedric weapon quest uh you can totally like not have him and he's also a character that can die like he's not one of the ones that's flagged as important so it was fun to have him traveling with me because he actually has a lot of cool things to say about locations in that region of Skyrim. Um, but people, characters like Lydia really don't. <laughs> like Lydia, I think, has a grand total of like 10 responses, it feels like at times. Um, so yeah, I think that's a shame is that the the characters that are meant to be like these really important, um, I forget the term they use, but the the guards to the Thanes uh, should have more importance than they actually do, especially the one that you encounter as part of like the main story, essentially. So, 
it, it's a shame that she especially didn't get any cool interactions. And uh, the one thing with Serana that I love, uh, and I don't know if you all know this, Serana has been bugged in Skyrim for a very long time. And her bug is bad. It's really bad. In that if you have her and you use vampire spells, they do less damage. Oh. What? <laughs> yep. What? Yep. Why? Oops. If you have Serana and you use Vampire Drain, it does dramatically less damage than it normally would. It so, just works. I just want to know what spaghetti code led to that. 15 times the detail. Uh, and of course, there are, there are mods that fix that. It's not an issue that is uh, terribly prevalent. I think even on consoles at this point, it, it's been fixed. Uh, and it's simple to download a mod that can essentially like there are two there, workarounds to it. You either actually fix the bug or you just buff the spells by an insane amount. <laughs> there are companion mods as well, like in Inago, Inago, Inigo or Lucian. Yeah, Inigo, Lucian, and I forget the name of the uh, th there's one I think um, European woman who's made a mod for since like Morrowind of Ooh. a character that just like reoccurs in the world that has a ton of voice acting. That's uh, really, really solid. So I think Inigo is probably the, the one that's most well-known for being a mod that's just extremely well-written and has a lot of interaction, as well as like a memorable side character with their actual missions. Yeah. Definitely yeah, having side characters with quests in Skyrim, very much needed. <laughs> I mean, there's a handful, but most of the ones with quests are either really mediocre quests or just their quest is the end of them. Like yeah. the beginning and the end, there's like the lioness woman in Riften who wants to root out crime. Oh yeah, <laughs> but Wait, that's kind of like broken. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that is her. Um, it's, that's either it. That's either her or the woman who you fight in a bar who joins you if you beat her up. <laughs> there's one of those two. I don't Good. remember the names, but yeah, there's some characters that have dramatically more dialogue than others. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a shame because I think Oblivion did a lot better in having a lot of interesting side characters with unique missions and whatnot. Though the the lack of needing the companion stories and whatnot is probably why that happened. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to see where that could have gone, and I wonder what Starfield's gonna do if it ever comes out. If it ever comes out, good point. Because uh, we did, we didn't talk about this last time, but we did get news that I think neither Starfield, Starfield was not slated for this year. It's slated yeah. for next year at the earliest, which means we likely won't be getting Elder Scrolls Six till twenty twenty six. Yeah, oh, I I think <laughs> which, it's not going to be until twenty thirty. It makes me laugh every time. It's it's so absurd. It's just man, <laughs> they have like, Bethesda and has going to become cash the next. Cow. This like I, it's free money that you can print. If you I, I just think, release it. <laughs> I think Elder Scrolls 6 is going to be the next No Man's Sky Cyberpunk again. Because they, yeah. they announced it, if they do anything else up until a month before it releases, it's, it's going to be horrible. There's going to be way too much hype over it. Yeah. I, I, I'm in that boat. It feels like that same type of announcement of like game, game, game big expectation big big company everyone's favorite company on earth making it 
takes uh, the 38 years to make. I'm sorry, did you just say that Bethesda is everyone's favorite game company? Yeah, well, they make a lot of everyone's favorite games, Wyatt, okay? Yeah, it's part of the same do. thing. You want to take the last couple of years as an example? I mean, average I, Joe I, I who doesn't not. who doesn't follow the games industry super closely and just buys games from studios they like, like Bethesda hasn't released anything aside from Fallout 76, and even then, yeah. that, that was like a subsidiary. So, there's really not <laughs> much in the way there. Um... So I think there, there's going to be either a lot of disappointed people or a lot of really happy people when six happens, and no middle ground. No, absolutely not. Yeah, They're starving for options. Whereas I, I think if they had taken less time and released essentially Skyrim two, just like same engine, fix some of the bugs, uh, you can even use the same map and just expand it a little bit. What what was like? Well, I, I I say, I say Elder Scrolls six fans are going to be starved for content. What is that game that? It's made by Obsidian. That looks a lot like the Elder Scrolls series. Uh, Awoken, I think it's called. Maybe something like that. That's not not soon, but that's probably going to come out before six. Yeah, it's a it's a Pillars of Eternity universe game. Ooh. Um, that is a first person RPG. So, yeah, that that will probably at this rate come out before Elder Scrolls six, or very soon to the release of Elder Scrolls six. Which will be entertaining to see. Although that would be a while. Like Obsidian tends to not announce things that early. Uh, we usually get a cinematic trailer, and then like a year later, we'll get gameplay. So I would be surprised. I mean, they haven't in the past, but I they haven't in the past, but I could see it being a Microsoft thing where they wanted something to show True. off, even if it's not. You know, I mean, that, that'd be weird though, because Microsoft owns Bethesda now. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't need to do that. That is really weird, huh? Yeah. I keep I keep forgetting that, to be honest. It's like Microsoft owns both the competition to Elder Scrolls and Elder Scrolls at the same time. <laughs> Just um, make more hype and make more money. Hey, I'm okay with that. If if we get two good RPGs out of it, I'm happy. Uh, Especially if we can get like some really good like Xbox exclusives now, you know? Like if we can really start kind of ramping up the competition in terms of like PlayStation and Xbox and like I would much prefer the Elder Scrolls to be available on PC. Thank you very no, much. No, 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 no. I'm not you saying Microsoft I'm not saying pre-established. That that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um and and like I'm not saying they should take uh pre-established franchises and make them exclusive. I think that would be kind of a, a dick move. But if they take these studios and they make you know, new IP that's meant to be, uh, mm. you know, Microsoft exclusives. I'm very much for. And it. alternatively, I would love to see them using it as a bargaining chip to get Sony to start releasing exclusives, non-exclusively. Ah. Um, mm. Like essentially, we just we could just eliminate exclusives altogether. That would be nice. <laughs> uh, which I think is the ideal situation for consumers, but not the ideal situation for developers. Yeah, it's a two-party system: Xbox and. <laughs> and then way out in the back you got nintendo doing whatever nintendo weird stuff they're doing over there yeah not that it's bad but they're just nintendo stuff nintendo just doesn't care <laughs> they really don't and they really it's great don't. it's and wonderful it with good things and it ends up with bad things sometimes like they just make some stupid decisions and then they'll release like a great game or like do a really cool thing you know it's like it's smash I, I will community. say I, I will say the the one thing that I that I like about having platform exclusivity is that it really um, invigorates both uh, Microsoft and Sony to keep to keep on top of their game, you know, like really try and like outdo each other. And what that does is that it makes 
just in terms of like co competing to make great content and we kind of benefit from that because they're both trying to outdo each other i mean to be honest i don't think exclusives contribute to that i think that would happen regardless yeah. just like trying to know, i think it helps games with better that, be i'm thinking i'm thinking of one example that obviously doesn't you know represent the entire thing because it's just one example but like innovation because like that that that, that just seems wrong to me because like Killzone's entire existence is because Microsoft had Halo and Sony wanted a big shooty shoot to have and Killzone is, you know, Killzone and Halo is one of the most important first-person shooter franchises to ever exist. Like that a, a a console having an exclusive game yet pushes the other console to make an exclusive equivalent that is like a shadow of the actually yeah, We good saw version. a ton of that in like early 2090s with the platformer craze. Like everyone was trying to make mascot platformers it's and exactly, nobody succeeded. Exactly. Like, <laughs> we only have like Sonic and Mario now because everything else was awful, like universally awful. Uh, or it was different enough to be its own thing, regardless, like Crash and Dendro Kazooie. So I, I don't think like exclusivity drives games. I think competition drives games to get better. And that competition would exist regardless. In fact, I think it would probably be more extreme if it was if things were available on every platform. Uh, but obviously, that's like an unrealistic reality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not the way business works. So I wouldn't expect that to happen. But uh, it would be an interesting move, especially with Microsoft making a lot of like forward-facing community moves and really trying to kind of broaden. The, the like Xbox and Microsoft brand into something a little bit more um, general than I think just like the console uh, which has been working for Microsoft a lot so like Game Pass is, is a really really good platform both for consumers and I'm sure it's making Microsoft a lot of money at this point so I, I would not be surprised if they continue that strategy I hope uh, they do yeah <laughs> And it's also like I, I just think exclusives in general tend to they they drive console sales. I don't think they drive game sales ever. Like I, I think make the game sales yeah. worse. Like if Spider Man was on both platforms, guarantee you it would have sold probably twice as much. Oh yeah. <laughs> because it's I, Spider Man. I would have it. Um but because it's exclusive, it, it's a game that is instead being used to drive console sales of Sony's platform. Uh, which it, it works like that's why I have a PS4 and not an Xbox One because I a lot of the games I like to play are released on PS4 uh, and not Xbox One and I can play most of those Xbox One games on my PC so I have options but at the same time like for Microsoft it doesn't matter because they own Windows <laughs> so yeah. either way they're winning um, so I, I think they're in a different situation than Sony is because Sony doesn't have like their own computing platform that they can kind of have exclusive marketplaces on and whatnot. Yeah, it's, it's very aside from the goals for today. And it's also our marker for time. We, we've been going oh. for a while now. Oh, wow. Uh, so I'm going to say, any anything to add? No. Um, no? All right, we good? Alex, you sound like you oh, got something. <laughs> Just, you know, another quick mention, because I will never uh, not mention this game when I'm given a chance. Uh, uh, Nintendo's Professor Layton series for side characters. You gotta, yeah, you gotta. Layton and Phoenix Wright. You gotta yeah. throw it for both it's of those franchises. Just, it's all story and it's all good, and the twists are amazing. 
yeah, got got to throw that out there. Um, I'll throw in as well. Uh, oh, the I the Somnium games. files. Yeah. So I the Somnium files made by the Nonora Games uh, writer. Really amazing. Uh, like, I, I hesitate to call it a visual novel because it's really not, but like puzzle detective adventure. <laughs> Probably the best way to put it. Really fantastic, and some of the like best twists I've seen in a game. Uh, Damn. Yeah. And super good side characters too, especially because like the game works by putting you on different, uh, essentially timelines of what's happening, and you have to kind of piece together the puzzle based on how characters react to different events that happen in those different timelines. So you like you'll see a character pushed to the breaking point in one, and you can kind of judge their reactions when they're not in the other timeline, and that like unlocks different pathways for you to explore. Uh, really, really cool game and, and great characterization. Yeah. Uh, all right, so with that, we've hit shoutouts. We do our shoutouts, and Wyatt, I know you're ready. I am. Um, my my shoutout goes to uh, the Gorillas' newest album, or album. It's technically called a season, uh, called uh, Song Machine Season One. Uh, Strange Times. It came out last year, and it was basically just a bunch of music uh, that was made with a bunch of different collaborators and uh, each piece of music was basically influenced by the collaborator they were working with. So, and you get some really like kooky, weird combinations. So like the weirdest one that, that sticks out in my brain, they have a song with the rapper black and Elton John. And it is such a weird combination of artists, but it works so well and it's bizarre. And all of these songs were written and produced individually over 2020. So a lot of the songs kind of reflect 2020 as like a whole, depending on like when it came out. And it's just such a cool idea uh, for an album. And there isn't a single song that comes to mind that I don't like. And it's just uh, fantastic. And uh, you should go check it out because it's really cool. Sounds good. So, All right. Yeah. I'm going to pop in here. I got a recommendation for a, a shout out to a game called Valheim that came out pretty recently in early access. Uh, it is one of the most polished early access games I've ever played. It's got a ton of content and it's a, a PVE survival game. So think like Rust, but not with a bunch of screaming 12 year olds. Ooh. Uh, that's and the best part. It's got so private <laughs> multiplayer, private, dedicated servers, completely uh, complete single player where you can just do whatever you want. It has, I think, the best, like, building system in a game i built a viking longhouse yesterday it was great you have to like weigh the supports and make sure that the building will stay on its foundation and not collapse um but that sounds like a pain like it sounds be like that'd be awful but they do it in a way that's very streamlined and it's extremely uh, easy to get a grasp on and it makes like building these structures essentially like a puzzle uh, and that's not even to mention the fact that it's got Terraria-style boss progression where you have a bunch of bosses to go fight in an open world uh, and you can go sail ships and whatnot. Really, really that fun game. Awesome. And it's $20. So uh, I have already gotten well above my money worth, money's worth out of it. Uh, super fun. I have a feeling we're, Ben and I are probably going to talk about it again on the podcast uh, soon. So yeah, great game. All right. Who's ready? Right or Alex? I can go unless Alex Labella is exploding with anticipation. I'm not exploding. I, I'm I'm barely at a simmer, honestly. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna wait for I him see. to begin fuming. 
<laughs> and then, then it's gonna get scared. Um. Okay. Uh. Well, as as the people uh, that are in uh, the Discord right now have probably been forced to keep up with, uh, I've had a madman's time with both of these Zone of the Enders games. <laughs> um. And I played the first one, and it's the first Zone of the Enders game, so it was just kind of like cool, like, also, like a flatline. Hey, hey Brett, cool. who who directed the Zone of the Enders games? If you wouldn't mind uh, telling not, us, not not directed, only produced. Well, yeah, produced. Kojima. Well, in Japan, those essentially mean the same thing. So it's I I, I get the sense that he like laid a finger on it, and that was it. Really? But yes, they they are they are Kojima games. He walked in the office one day to see what they were working on, and that's it. That seems to be the lore behind it, from what I've heard. <laughs> um, but it it does have the the Metal Gear mechanical designer for all the giant robots, so they all look insanely cool. Um, but I started playing the second one, uh, and I wanted to uh, hurl myself out the the window. Um, and then I turned the difficulty down, and I had a better time. So you should <laughs> play it. It has a remaster on Steam, and it's probably even better. I ended up liking it in the end. That was probably an important thing to point out. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> it the drove me insane. He, also, he shout out the that that mech designer Yoji Shinkawa, incredible. Yeah, ooh, very very good master. artist. All right, Alex, I hear the the like whistle blowing of the steam simmering, ready to to release onto us your shout out. Okay, get uh, get ready to receive my shout out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! You, you so all right? All right, hit us with it. Uh, some uh, some some very nice uh, extreme vanilla cupcakes that I made the other day. Oh, As is, sublime. You know, I was gonna I was gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it. I'll say it after we're done. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good choice. Leave the horrible endings yeah. to wide, Brett All right. and I. Well, that means I'm going to start playing the outro. You guys can find the podcast every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. or live on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern. We hope you all have a, a great grand time. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Man. It's def- deflated laughter. <laughs> Aw. So how about those uh, vampire children? Oh my! Well, we got, God. we got, we're still, we still got to finish. You know, it's, we got like three seconds left.